our reading today comes from Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97. This is a small chunk of the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 has, I think, 176 verses. So if you're ever looking for something that you can read uh, one chapter for an extended period of time, this is always a good one to start with. Here's how it begins. Oh, I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn away from your ordinances, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, We're going to spend just two really quick weeks uh, talking about this little series we're calling Better Together. Uh, This is a really simple thing that we talk about, but we've said this a few times as a community over the last few years. We believe that we're better together than we are individually, and there are some specific things that we always do better together than we could do on our own. Um, and, and part of the reason we talk about this is that this is, continues to be uh, kind of a growing community. Uh, we continue to see uh, more and more new friends being a part of this church, and so we're thankful um, to be able to do that. But the question is often this, what is it that holds us together? What is it that makes us a community? And I think that in order to get at that, we can uh, pull out one of the verses, the one that we actually started with this evening, or this morning, which is this. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. The thing that binds the church together is Scripture. Uh, Martin Luther said uh, that we believe in Scripture alone, along with faith alone and um, Christ alone. He had a lot of alones, which all work together, and it's paradox. Lutherans love paradoxes. We're a little confusing sometimes in that way, but it's good. But he said, when he, when he began to teach, he said that Scripture was one of the things that bound the church together. And if we ever wondered which direction we should go, we could go back and look at the Scripture as a community. Um, Deuteronomy says, says it this way. It says, here's what it says. You shall put these words of mine, these being Scripture, in your heart and soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and fix them as an emblem on your forehead. And he and continues, and teach them to your children, talking about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Now, when Deuteronomy, when they're writing this in Deuteronomy or when it's being talked about by the psalmist, what they're talking about is the Old Testament law. They didn't have— a New Testament. They had no stories about Jesus. In fact, when these words were written, uh, Deuteronomy was written uh, as the Torah was still being finalized and figured out the first five books of the Bible. The Psalms were written, um, and, and they knew that young students, young students in the Jewish faith would have memorized all of those first five books of the Bible, but they hadn't quite yet learned what, or they hadn't seen and experienced what the rest of God's story for the world would be in this man named Jesus. But the question that I want to ask as we read these words is this, is this our reality? Is this what we do? Do we bind them on our hearts and, and put them as a seal upon ourselves? Um, do, we, do we put them in our heart and soul and bind them as a sign on your hand and fix them as an emblem on our 
foreheads. Here's some stats for you that I thought were helpful this week as I was doing this. Some Bible reading statistics. 91% of all American households in the U.S. own a Bible. Um, I often will say, if you don't have a Bible, take one and make it yours. That doesn't mean that they're going flying out of, out of this, this church, because the reality is, is the vast majority of people who show up um, in a church already have a Bible at home. You're going, yeah, I got, I got one of those. They gave it to me when I was a third grader, or maybe when I was confirmed, or somebody gave it to me as a graduation gift. It was a not-so-subtle hint from my grandma as I went off to college, or whatever it is. But I've got this Bible with my name emblazoned in it. The typical household owns three Bibles. My household owns three times maybe six, because I have a lot of Bibles. It's a useful thing. 38% of adults in the U.S. read the Bible during a typical week, including when they are not at church. And among Bible readers, the average amount of time spent reading the Bible during an entire week is 52 minutes or about 10 minutes per day. That is only among the 38%. And so if you did it among the whole percentage, that number would drop pretty significantly. Here's what I know, and here's what I often press into. We continue to be a community that talks about the Bible, but doesn't actually sometimes know what it means to get into that and figure that out. The best way that you can guard against people like me saying things that are not in the Scripture is to know what is in there and what is going on. These stats are a little outdated. They're from 1998, a Pew Research study, and then they were quoted by Michael Foss in, in his book called Power Surge. Uh, but I think they're probably a little bit true today. If not, those numbers have actually gone down a little bit over the last couple of decades. And so I think there's a question that we should ask as a community, which is, which is this. What's stopping us from reading the Bible? What is it that stops us from getting into the Scripture? Um, and I think there are a lot of different solutions to this. Um, it's not availability. It's not that we can't find a Bible, and it's not literacy. Most of the population can read. There's always um, uh, some percentage of the population that never does learn how to read, or that becomes difficult. But for the most part, those aren't the things that are stopping us. In fact, I think there are three barriers to reading the Bible. Time, confusion, and fear. We're too busy. We don't understand. And we ask this question, what if I don't get it? What if I start to look dumb in front of somebody else? What if I don't understand what it is that I read? Or what if I just, I don't know what's going to happen on the other side of that, so I'm not going to do that because I'm nervous or afraid or whatever. The list goes on and on about why we would be afraid. You see, I think these are the things that make us the most nervous. And when I talk to people about what it means to either be in a group or read your Bible or whatever it is, it, it always seems to come down to these, these three things. And the first is maybe the—it's the easiest to solve and yet the hardest to solve. I'm too busy. You're feeling that way. I'm too busy. There's too much going on. There's craziness going on all the time. I will tell you this. In my seasons where I'm not reading the Bible, I will say, I'm too busy, which is kind of goofy because I'm never too busy to know the score of every football game that happened yesterday. And I probably have a pretty good idea and can tell you a lot about what's going on. Uh, but, but what happens is, is that my calendar tends to look like how I pack a car. If I have three bags to put in the back of a car, somehow I can make all three bags fill the whole trunk. 
Have you done that? You just sort of throw them in and you hope that it's going on. But when I have a youth group, 12 kids, one van, and figure it out, it's like Tetris. You're going to fit all the pieces in there, and they all seem to work together, and you get it right to the top, and you go, okay, there's no more room. At the end of packing the car, both cars look full, but one has been done differently than the other one. My schedule tends to look this way as well, and the reality is, is when I start to look at it, I go, okay, What's the difference between when I'm too busy and when I'm not too busy? And I think here it comes. The key to making time for important things is to put it in your schedule. My calendar controls me. Maybe your calendar controls you too. I don't know if this is true for everybody. I just know that when I wake up in the morning, I look at my calendar and I go, I need to do this and this and this and this and this. And if it doesn't fit into that list, sometimes it doesn't happen which means that I literally have to go write, read Bible on my calendar. And I have to fit it in a way that works for me. Because the reality is, is that you're busy, and that I'm busy, and we're all wrestling with the fact that we're not sure how we're going to ever fit something else into our schedule. I'll fit it in somewhere, I keep saying, but it just doesn't work. And so I ask this question, well, what's the pattern? What's a pattern that we can follow? And I think it's helpful to look at Jesus' pattern when we get into this. Here's what it said in Mark 1, 35. In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. I think we can learn something right away. This isn't, this isn't just something that happened probably one time, because if it happened one time at the beginning of the story, my doubt is that Mark would remember it. But instead, he seems to share this with us in a way that makes us think that it's possible that this might have been a regular occurrence. It shows up a couple other times in the New Testament stories about Jesus, that Jesus gets up early and he goes and prays. For some reason, Jesus is an early riser. And when I'm doing well in Scripture, this is me too. I get up early and I do it this way. This may not be you. You may be the type of person who nothing, happen, nothing positive happens before 9 o'clock. I don't know if that's you. I'm the kind of person that nothing positive happens after 9 o'clock in the evening. I just—it's time to be done. I can stare quietly at something. I may be able to read a book if I'm in a really good place, but that is the extent of what I can accomplish late into the evening. I'm just not useful at that hour. Six in the morning, I'm usually doing— all right. And when I've been in this pattern of reading scripture, this is when it shows up for me. But the thing about it is, is that the way to make time is to put it in the calendar and to make it a regular rhythm. Each day, at the same hour, whether it be right before bed, if that's when you function best, or right away in the morning, or there's a time during the day, whether it be a lunch or as you come home, or there's a gap in your life and you kind of say, okay, on a regular basis, this is when it happens, that's when it seems to work. Because when I try to fit it in somewhere, somewhere never comes. There's always something to fill my days and my hours. The second piece of this is confusion. After time, confusion becomes the barrier. I don't understand what's happening in the Bible. And I want to share a secret with you that is so important that you need to hear this. And so let's read this together. Nobody understands everything in the Bible. I don't mean this like nobody in this room. Nobody. 
You get books from the wisest Bible scholars around the world, and you get to these verses, and I'm, I'm reading this verse, and I'm going, I don't understand it. And I pick up the Bible, and I read, and they say, we have 2,000 years of history, and the words are written right there in the book. The meaning of this passage is unclear. And I'm going, okay, <laughs> what do you do with that? All the history, all the knowledge, all the understanding, we don't quite know what they were saying in this moment. And so if you read a passage of Scripture like we did last week in our message, and you get to the end and you go, this doesn't make any sense, you may be in really good company. Don't stress if you don't know. Because I walk into middle school um, small groups uh, at a regular, on a regular basis during our student connect, and I sit down with our middle schoolers and I go, they go, we have this question. And I go, that's a really good question. I don't know. You'll have to ask Jesus someday when you see him. And they kind of smile and they laugh and everybody giggles and we move on. But the reality is, is that if we read scripture, we're not going to understand. And so don't feel bad if you don't understand. The more you learn, the more you'll get a hold of. But the reality is that sometimes you're going to come across something and you're going to go, this doesn't make sense. Or somebody's going to give you the explanation and you're going to go, that doesn't hold water for me. That doesn't jive with any experience I have in any part of my life. I don't understand. And we're going to wrestle. And we're going to be confused. But we're going to do that together. Because the togetherness of it is where we start to get a vision for what God might be doing in the world. Saying I don't know doesn't mean you're not bright. And that's where the third piece of this comes in. All the fear around the Bible is this. If I say I don't know, they're going to know, and then I'm going to feel like I don't get it. There are lots of things I don't have any idea about. People ask me, they say, well, it says this in the Bible. What does that mean? And I'm going, I didn't know that was in there. We'll have to go look that up together. It's a big book, and I don't have it all memorized, and I'm not sure what's going on. And we tend, to, we tend to give each other things as we're digging through Scripture. We tend to give each other things, and we'll say, you'll say, I was reading this, and I'll go, I have to go back and read it. I don't know what's going on. That's not a sign that I don't know what's happening, and I'm not ashamed to say those words very often. And I'm telling you, the, one of the first things I say to every one of our middle school group leaders is this, please say the words, I don't know, because they don't know, and they want to know that you're comfortable as well. If we're afraid of what people are thinking of us, if we're afraid of what's going to happen as we get into the Scripture, we'll never get there. But nobody really knows what's happening. And so, I want to ask this question then. If these are the things that stop us, how do we make our Bible reading more effective? And there are four letters that I want to teach you, and I think they're helpful. Um, and so there's a place to take notes in your Bible, if this is, or in your, in, your, in your bulletin if you want. Otherwise, in front of you, in the Bible, there should be a blue bookmark that looks like this. It says, SOAP. SOAP is not just for cleaning. Um, SOAP is a slick little acronym that helps because in church we love acronyms. We like to shorten big things down to little words, and then nobody can quite remember what the acronym was, but we work it out together and we try to remember together. And so um, we're going to use these little bookmarks this year. Uh, throughout the year, you're going to see them. They'll change colors on a regular basis because on the back uh, they have different months that show up. But as we do this, um, you're going to see that uh, we want to read Scripture together. We believe something powerful happens when we read Scripture together. We begin to engage God in a community. We begin to be able to say to somebody else, hey, I was did, you, 
see what's going on in your life? I know you read what I read. Do you see how that relates to what you're wrestling with right now? Or do I see how that relates to what I'm wrestling with? And so the SOAP method works this way. Uh, There are four pieces to it. They're really simple. The first one is this. It's called Scripture. So you'll see on the back of this card, there's some readings that are on here. Um, Our reading plan that we're going to do as a church is two chapters a day. So the first two days ago was John 1 and 2. I know you're getting to the party late. Sorry. It just didn't work out in the calendar for me to get you all in here on Thursday to talk about this. So uh, it works out today. But the first one was John 1 and 2. And so there's two chapters. But often— I find that when I read scripture, I don't read two chapters and go, I'm going to reflect on all of that. That all makes sense. Usually when I read it, there's a verse or two, one or two verses that stick out and I go, that's really interesting. And so the first thing that I often do when I read scripture and when I'm kind of teaching you this is saying, let's look at what, are the, what, what stuck out to you and just focus on that. Sometimes when I really want to remember it, I actually rewrite that verse Yeah, I have my little notebook in front of me, and so I'll write that verse down, and I'll say what's going on, or I'll type it into my phone, and I'll retype the whole thing, or I'll copy and paste it um, in there. And so this is the question. What is the verse or verses that you notice? Read these daily scriptures from the Bible. The second step is called O for observation. Observe what you're seeing. And this is the question. What's happening? Not what am I feeling or what am I thinking or what's going on. Like, what did I notice about that? What's going on? Uh, What do you notice is happening in the scripture? Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're having a conversation about whatever. And you're going, oh, I get it. Because one of the most complicated things that can happen is that you read a piece of scripture and you have no idea who's talking to who or what on earth they're talking about. One of the best helps in something like this is something called a study Bible. The Bible that you have in front of you that's in there that we're going to pull out in just a minute um, is not a study Bible. It just has the words of the Bible, but there's a really thick one that looks like you would need a carrying case to carry it around. That's called a study Bible. Um, And a study Bible, the top half will be the scripture, and the bottom half is a whole bunch of notes that tell you, oh, this is what's going on. Um, And so you can get a hold of one of those. If you don't have one and you just really need one immediately, come see me. Like I said, I have more Bibles than I could ever need, and I could probably just give you one. So um, that would work. Uh, But those are really helpful. Just to figure out what is it that's going on? What do you notice? Is there a repetition? What are the words? um, what, What are the verses that you're reading? Who is the audience? Is there a repetition of words? What words stand out to you? What do you not Understand, And sometimes that's what I'll say. I didn't get this part. I need to understand what on earth is going on in this passage, and that's what I'm going to start digging into. After observation, observe what you're seeing in the Bible, then comes application. How does this relate to my life? Application is when Scripture becomes personal. Usually what I'll notice— I'll notice because it has some sort of like connection back to what I'm wrestling with in that particular moment. It has some sort of connection back to what I'm dealing with. Does this say something about a decision I'm wrestling with? Or does it tell me, have I been worried that God is, is, is upset about something? And did I hear a word of grace and love and hope in the scripture? Or what is it saying about some situation that I, I've been facing over and over again? But my encouragement to you is to say, well, how do we apply this to our life? How do we take it home? And finally, the fourth one is P. P is for prayer. 
Pray. You got it? Talk to God and say, God, I need your help with this. Or God, I'm so thankful for what you're doing in this. Or God, this is what's happening in my life. Here's what I'm going to talk about. I just really want to be able to go back into that and pray and ask that God would be a part of what was going on as I was reading the scripture. The SOAP method is, it's really simple. And it's meant to be a way to break this down. Some of you have been doing this for a long time, and you're like, I already kind of do that naturally. That works. But when we're learning how to do something, it's kind of like learning to drive a car. You have to take all the parts, the pieces of what you do apart, and then put them back together step by step and figure out, okay, what are the steps of what we're doing? There's a couple of resources you should know about. We're going to encourage you to read the Bible all year. We're going to try to make those readings go along with the scriptures, but you should know about a really important resource. Um, a couple of them. On the left, you have some bookmarks. Like I said, we'll be making those every month, and so uh, we'll have them available here as soon as the month is over, or a week or so before the month is over for the next month. It's also the readings are on our website, and we'll figure out how to get them out in the newsletter. Um, this can be your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, some of you have one of these. Uh, there's an app called YouVersion, or it's called the Bible app. If you type in Bible in the app store, a picture like the little brown Bible comes up, and you can use it. There's a lot of great Bible apps, but this one is free and easy to use. It has lots of translations. And if you're a non-reader, it has a really amazing function. From water to wine. Chapter 2. Three days later, there was a wedding in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were guests also. Isn't that unbelievable? If you don't want to read the Bible, your phone will read the Bible to you. Aww. I love uh, one of our high schoolers actually came up uh, afterwards and was like, I have 20 minutes available on my drive to school. I'll listen to the Bible while I read there. And I'm going, watch your data plan. But sure, yeah, you can do that. So, uh, but that works. But it's really slick to be able to do these things. YouVersion has lots of different functions. If you're reading the Bible with somebody else, you can share your note-taking back and forth so you can see these things um, on, on each other's information. But uh, it's a really useful way to be able to do this or using a study Bible will help you out. But my encouragement is this. Make Scripture a deep part of who you are. Because I'm telling you, when we read the Bible together, God seems to do amazing, powerful, unbelievable things. This has been true in any group of three or four or five I've ever read the Bible with. And when I've done this with a church, I've seen God be able to speak to a whole community in a way that is almost impossible in any other way. The other thing that I want to point out before I stop here and pray with you is this. Um, there's weekends on this little card. They say ketchup. There's no book of the Bible called Ketchup. It turns out that life is busy. Some of you know this. And so we'll encourage you, if you don't get to it during the week, use the weekend to be able to catch up and, and, and go forward in these things. Or if your schedule just works out to do like a Wednesday to Sunday schedule. The card was made for you. You were not made for the card. Does that make sense? Um, and so use this and read together, and we encourage you to read with us. All right. Uh, we're going to pray, and I'm going to invite the musicians to come on up here as we pray together. So would you pray with me? God, we give thanks that you give us love and life. We give you thanks that through your word you pour into us. And we pray now, like those hearers of Deuteronomy and the author of the psalm, that your words would be on our hearts and that we would know all that you're calling us to. We believe that through your word you will lead us and change us and make us grow. 
We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. And together, God's people said, amen.